0: You're listening to The Middle, the show about the Australia-China connection. We're bringing greater balance and broad expertise to all aspects of the Australia-China relationship.
1: Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Middle, the show about Australia's relationship with China. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of your nation, Right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and my co-host is Wanning Sun and our producer today is the wonderful Kayla McHugh. And Wanning and I come to you from the University of Technology, Sydney. The middle is inspired by the simple desire to shed more light than heat on Australian China Relations. To do that, every week we explore one aspect of the relationship with two subject area experts. And if you'd like to catch up with previous episodes in either English or Mandarin, please go to middleau.com. And you can even see what we look like if you fancy that. So, warning. Perhaps you should tell us what this week's episode is all about.
2: Yes, thanks, Peter. Uh, This this week, we're talking about Australian media's coverage of China. Now, we're asking some questions here. Are Australian journalists doing an okay job in covering China? Uh, Or are there any problems in the Australian media's coverage of China? Does the media deal in feelings more than facts when it comes to China? Mm. And how do news organizations create quality reporting on China as a newsroom budget continue to dwindle? Today, we have two guests who are very, very well qualified to answer these questions. Glenda Corporal is joining us from Beijing. Glenda is a senior financial journalist from The Australian, with more than 30 years experience reporting on business and the finance around the world. And in the studio, we have Sulin Tan, and Sulee is a journalist at the Australian Financial Review, re- reporting on a wide range of things, but most recently on Asia, China and politics. And Sulin, you've been
1: doing quite a lot of real estate reporting as well.
0: Uh, yes, absolutely. In the mm. last probably five years, watching the market go up and down.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really pleased it's going down because I'm in the market, <laughs> so we'll get some <laughs> advice later. Um, it seems that we can look at China-related content journalism in Australia is belonging to sort of one of three areas. There's reporting about China, there's reporting on Australia-China relations, and then there's reporting on Chinese influence. So, I mean, you might dispute those three characterizations, but how would you, let's start with you, uh, Su Lin, how would you assess the media's performance in those three areas?
0: Um, Poor. (laughs) Poor. extremely poor and I'm not going to hold back here I um, I, I have spent uh, the last few years watching the coverage go from you know reasonably curious to absolutely radicalised and one-sided uh, it just seems that certain journalists uh, particularly if, even the ones who are very experienced have a certain agenda uh, they're set in their minds that there is some kind of a conspiracy theory and they're going down every possible path looking for something and almost always without evidence and almost always without a voice from the other side so in okay, that sense well,
1: well, I'm sure we're going to come back to that theme <laughs> what about you glenda Are you th- i mean those i don't know those, those three years reporting about china reporting on australia china relations and then reporting on china influence because perhaps what su lin's getting at is more prevalent in reporting on china china influence questions but you know she might dispute that what do you think glenda
3: well, there has been an enormous uh, increase in reporting on China influence uh, security seeing China as a threat um, just uh, I'm in Beijing so I have to uh, all I can do is you know follow online as, as everyone else so or, or it does seem like almost every story um, or story after story is looking to um, have China as the red under every bed I mean it's interesting with the story on the on the hacking of the uh, email in parliament house now mm. the prime minister announced that it, it could have been a state actor or whatever and and yet per, and, and look maybe there were is what i don't know a, a journalist being briefed in canberra by uh, various secrets um because journalists after journalists then just said oh it, it, it's china
1: um, yeah there wasn't there, china wasn't named but the the assumption was it was china
4: yeah
3: yeah. And, and and the question is, uh, maybe I mean you know maybe these journals are being briefed by someone or security interests or or whatever um, whatever it is. They are this this kind of reporting is uh, has become almost a prevalent reporting when in fact there's heaps of other stuff going on. I mean you've got students coming out, you've got tourists, you've got business. Um, it's a very broad relationship uh, on many fronts. You've got art art interests, artists coming and going. Um, and yet, it almost the front page or the early page stories are are all um, with a security flavour, and mm. Uh, mm. certainly very you know um, painting China as um, uh, in a, in a quite a negative way. And uh, somebody, I, I there must be given this more than one journalist. Uh, m- maybe you know people are there is extensive briefing going on. I, I that's mm. not happening to me, but it, 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 I, I can only think that there's a bit more to it. Uh, somebody is, is briefing these um, these journalists on something which I, I'm not aware of.
2: Well, Glenda, just having you uh, uh, talk about l- like that in that way, and that it seems to me that uh, some China scholars or, and media scholars, like uh, you know, in, in universities, also argue that the reporting on China has gone a bit too far in the direction of um, China bashing, if you like, or anti-China as a kind of knee-jerk kind of reaction. So are they being too sensitive uh, about this or do they actually have a point? I guess I sense from what you're saying that you think they might have a point.
3: Well, actually, I go back to uh, the days one the, uh, when um, the, the industry in China came from the Whitlam government and then it came from the whole government and there was huge, at, at top levels of government, you had... Of course, in all our lifetimes, China has been a communist country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it still is. And it's still, you know, uh, people do. I think what happens is people, new people come to China and they say, well, wow, I've seen Shanghai is just like us. Well, it's a communist country. And since 1949, it has been one. Um, what what you aren't having, I think one of the vacuums is at the top of the government. Uh, you know, the opening up and the connections with China have, were done by, you know, Whitlam Hawke, and then Keating. Um, it, it seems at the top level of the government now, there's not a, um, you know, the, 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 there's an ambivalence about China, mm. and I think that feeds through into into um, into journalism thinking. But but there's clearly with this Huawei story, um, it, it fits into intelligence and security, and, and clearly all around the world, um, journalists are being briefed or fed or whatever
0: stories by various sources and, yeah, and it's yes,
2: bubbling yeah. through into the coverage. Well, let's ask in the same question. Do you think journalists might have been briefed somehow?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think there's a fair amount of behind-the-scenes kind of political manoeuvre here. Instead of actually coming out and saying what they need to say or even standing up for what their rights so are, absolutely no, no wrong defending Australia's national interests or, or security. But they, don't, they do it in a clandestine fashion, you know, just going around the back and dropping it with certain, you know, journalists who have a certain agenda or have already been radicalized to thinking that there is a, you know, China's taking
1: over the world. Isn't it something to do with a kind of innate fear of, you know, China's powerful and when it was a, a big country full of peasants? That was one thing, but now it's actually a big country full of people with lots of money who come to Sydney and buy a harbour mansion. Mm-hmm. So that's not the model that we expected, right? That's yeah. not the China that we could understand. We wanted a China <laughs> that would take our wheat and wool and, you know, but be a bit... <laughs> wouldn't get too bolshy. Now we have China rising as a superpower. And, and,
0: theref- th- and therefore it reflects a narrow-mindedness mm-hmm. of the Australian people, mm-hmm. and particularly it's Australian leaders and government, because... It's it's their job to educate and guide. In that the world's changing, China's changing, and instead of looking to uh, breach that relationship, you, What's they're trying, trying to
1: push reporting it on the ground from China. I mean, are there pressures on you? in terms of what you can and can't do, uh, the influences on you. Do you do you feel that you're, you know, what you do is being watched and, and all that sort of stuff, or do you have relative freedom?
3: Yes, to all of that. In the in the like, but the Australian government, I know, monitors what I write as well. Of um, course, it, it does. So, um, uh, and and the Chinese government would do that, and the Chinese embassy. But you know, that that's life being a journalist. In some ways, you know, there's a lot more openness in the sense that you've got a you've got internet controls, but really, you've got so what the Party Congress. Well, there's a website for it. They're updating it. Um, there, if there's a press conference, they're reporting from it. Um, and I can get that fairly instantly now. It's probably not being reported in the way a critical journalist would do, but uh, there's a foreign uh, ministry press conference at 3 o'clock every afternoon. Uh, I'm free to go, and anyone, any, any foreign journalist, any registered, is free to go and ask the question, and that you can get the next day on, on um, an English transcript. So in some ways, um, and if I want to get on a plane, in theory, apart from the bed, um, I could probably go somewhere. Um, countering that is is a change in tone of of the government really um, uh, controlling more um, putting more pressure on Chinese people about what they can say publicly and certainly my assistant who's been working for the paper for some time is saying it's much much harder to get uh, academics to come out or people to speak and just make a comment. Um, The pressures on them are are, are quite great And, and there are a lot of people now that you could have run up five years ago, how's the economy going, how's Australia-China going, um, be more cautious. So, um, so in a funny way, you know, things are more open than they were in the past. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, or perhaps even 10 years ago, you have the journalist uh, who would wait for their assistant to come in and he painstakingly read the China Daily. Uh, now, you know, there's quite a lot of information you can access, um, but... Yeah, uh, there is that concern, I suppose, of, of people having their name in the paper. I had one story, and I won't name the person. Uh, uh, the, uh, you know, a Western person made an extremely innocuous comment about this coal situation, and it just rebounded on that person so much, and on their business, and the, the business, um, it, all the people in the business saying just don't, you know, just don't make any waves and um uh, so there's this increasing phenomenon of people being very cautious about speaking, and, and time after time, you know, when you do want to speak to someone, well, you can't use their name or you can't identify them. So, uh, uh, that's do you, the are
1: way. you conscious do that yeah? Are, are you conscious of um, see see? I think one of the narratives that gets transposed on China these days is a kind of Russian Cold War narrative. Right, then we just replace the word Russia with China, and so the idea is that you know, the journalists get followed home uh, after work and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, there's dark cars following you around. Is there, is there anything like that going on?
3: Uh, look, honestly, they they can probably monitor your WeChat, or, uh, or they could do it all electronically uh, if they wanted to. Mm. Um, I have only been here since July. Mm-hmm. Um, facial recognition here is highly. The, the thing is, as a Westerner, you stick out anyway. So those are mm. obvious, facial recognition is quite high. Um, I, I was told by another colleague um, who was um, perhaps not reporting on a demonstration but just talking to some people who were um, from the country who would come to protest and uh, she was spoken to by a policeman who already knew who she was
4: mm.
3: uh, and she suspected they had uh, got her details by facial recognition. That you have to assume. Yeah, I think the old days when they followed your home is The electronic stuff is very, is probably quite, quite sophisticated. If they, uh, if they want to use it, I think you you have to assume that you could be monitored. If you know, it, it, I I can't imagine somebody wanting to monitor to me one to one me my life. Well, <laughs> Glenda, and it's, boring, it's interesting
2: you were talking about, uh, you know, Australian journalists' relationship with the local Austra- um, Chinese government there. I will also want to turn, uh, go to the other direction and asking a question about uh, Australian uh, media's relationship with the, uh, uh, you know, uh, government and uh, foreign affairs uh, ministry in Australia. For instance, you know, uh, for, when Julia Bishop, when she was the uh, minister, she criticised the media Uh, a number of times saying the media was informing the public about Australia and China relationship. So clearly there is a tension between um, the government's foreign affairs agenda and journalists' desire to tell the stories in a certain way. So do you experience this kind of tension? Well, um, we are told uh, and look, I've been a foreign
3: I've been worked all around the world. You have to have a good, as good a relationship as you can with the embassy um, for various reasons. You have to know what people are coming through and all this, but um, the the rule is uh, and it was spelled out clearly, you can't quote any of us uh, You uh, every comment has to come from DFAT in Canberra um, and that's the rules they have to live with and uh, so in a way if I want any statement about anything I have to email DFAT in Canberra the same way as anyone else and that's a constraint there under um, as well and uh, I think that um, Yes, the default thing is probably the government would prefer things uh, were not. If there's tensions and things, they probably would like to play them, play them down. I, I did hear there was a company, um, Treasury Wine Estate, which owns Pinfolds. They had some problems getting wine in um, about last May. Um, they they decided to disclose that to the stock exchange. Um, and I heard, like, informally that the government would have preferred they didn't speak out about mm. that. Um, mm. I, I didn't hear it directly, but I certainly heard that on the white mm. right line. So I think they, if there's problems, they'd somehow prefer we weren't covering it. Well, I would like true.
2: to ask the uh, a question, as she's she's the person who is actually reporting on this uh, domestically in, in Australia. How do you see this tension being played out in everyday reporting? Between media
0: and government? Yes. I think... Because journalists, <laughs> many journalists, are, are quite vain. And they're all after an award. They're looking for, they're witch hunting. The Walkley. Oh, absolutely. They're looking for a Walkley. And we all know how that plays out. So they're after an award and they're looking for something that is sensational. And, and, and it rides on the trend. It plays into emotions which are unfounded and not necessarily backed by evidence. And you can see all the defamation cases that of late that point to that. Right. Again, journalism has lost its footing when it comes to reporting on China. We are still the father state. We have a responsibility to the public. Right? Governments may have games to play. They have votes to win. But we have to report both sides of the story and both voices. The current discourse at the moment is completely one-sided. It's about Australia's fear of China, Australia's fear of China buying up Australia and all of that stuff that you can actually control. So we've lost our middle voice, our balance, you know, where we were supposed to look after, you know, the people of Australia. And, and the ones that actually do do balance stories, they're not actually out there being read widely because they're behind a paywall. You know, the the, the blogs, the newspaper, the, the, the onlines, they pick up everything they can find for a headline, for an award. And that's a problem.
1: Just on that, do you think the kind of the more partisan media, so... The Global Times, obviously a mouthpiece of the PRC, mm. um, uh, and there are certain partisan, maybe more pro-government news organisations in this country. Uh, Catherine Murphy recently, you know, noted that 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 had been described as sort of megaphone diplomacy—that the that media is being used as a tool of furthering foreign policy. Do you, do you see that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Global Times, we all know, has is the mouthpiece, oh. right, as is all a lot of the national peace, uh, papers in China. But they don't purport to be a democracy. They don't go out and say... Right, we're a balanced democracy. We we fair, fair balanced commentary, and and write solidly founded stories. Mm-hmm. They don't purport to do that. That's not their their, their business
1: model, pro- if you will. They're propagandists. Exactly. Mm.
0: But we we talk about being a democracy, and we're doing exactly the thing that is not democratic. We are doing exactly that thing is one sided, and is actually, in fact doing exactly what these global times of the world are doing. You're speaking one side of the story. So we've all gone to both sides of the fence. You're in that camp and I'm in this camp.
1: Glenda, what do you think of that? That seems... I
0: mean, I think there
3: are real issues of China now growing up and becoming a world power, becoming more, um, you know, playing a bigger role and being more confident and a little bit more aggressive. This seems to be then turning into hating every Chinese or critical of and wary of every Chinese. And you know we don't do that with America we don't do that with you know we don't blame if we don't like Putin we don't somehow turn it into a mass criticism of every Russian and and people are um, who were in the Australia China business being affected by this constant barrage of of negative comment which somehow complains ordinary Chinese people with what the government might be doing.
1: Do you think the Australian media is then being complicit in that? I mean, again, that's a broad statement, the Australian media, but are there sections of the Australian media that are buying into that more than others?
3: Um, I think there's certainly journalists who are reporting on it, Um, but I mean, I think um, if you look at I mean, my background is a business journalist and that's the way I followed followed China. Um, Mm. If you look in the business section, we're we're daily reporting actually business deals with China, you know, Blackmores or or, so there are other streams, and uh, there are other streams of the paper.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, again, I think it does come down to a, a, a sort of a gap at the top in, in government. Um, and I think the future is going to be much more complicated as well. And we need to be able to, you know, walk and chew gum sort of thing. We need to realise the future world is much more complicated with two superpowers jostling up against each other and a much more confident China. And we... And the government hasn't worked out how really to deal with that. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how perhaps Penny Wong will, will do. Mm. Um, so there's not a, a leadership coming from the government or, in fact, as Turnbull has revealed, perhaps in the speech he's made, um, yeah, he, his main focus was on the security issues or perceived security, um, security issues. Um, so, look, there are other streams of... Of reporting as well that are there to be found but I suppose the main the main thing that's getting in the papers at the moment is um, somehow this security threat yeah. issue and these unnamed spying and hacking and um, all these other unnamed evil forces <laughs> that's yes, to evil forces, about. yes
2: so um, I guess in some ways the media has been criticised uh, for its coverage on issues to in, in, in terms of China influence. For instance, uh, Peter Manning, who is a formal, uh, former ABC person, he described uh, this kind of uh, a trend and of journalism to move from investigation to what he called excess journalism. And uh, and also James Lawrenson at UTS uh, also produced a report which aims to uh, debunk a whole range of myths, if you like, about China's power and influence. Mm-hmm. Um, so Obviously, from what you're saying there is a problem with the uh, Australian medias cha- reporting on, on China um, so you think this um, criticism are justified
0: uh, I I, th- I think it is because I think the people who are running the paper often lies in the hands of several journalists and several editors who are fair enough, for one of a better word friends and you know, in power for a very long time, they already have a set view, and they're not easily influenced by other new journalists or journalists with you know ethnic backgrounds like us. You know, who have a knowledge of how things work and cultural transparency. So they're not open to that in that sense. So I think, and and, and even the national broadcaster, I feel, is leaning towards that as well, which is very disappointing. If you're a national broadcaster, um, and putting out a lot of programs off late, especially on Four Corners, that are just so swayed to one direction. It's, it's stunning that I, I am, I'm gobsmacked as a taxpayer and an Australian citizen to see this happening, knowing that there is definitely another side of the story as a journalist.
2: Well, do you think that these kind of stories tend to Play on, more on emotion rather than fact when it comes to coverage of. China. Oh, absolutely. Is that what the problem, main problem
0: is. Oh, absolutely. People love emotional story, don't they? Then they love the drama. So the more, I mean, that is why things like merit at first sight is exciting on TV because they love the drama. They don't want to know the hard facts or having to understand something that's difficult. And, and to Peter's point earlier, maybe it's just easy to see China as a village full of pheasants and people making shoes in factories and all that. And suddenly their views change and it's really hard to see something else. And 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 they can't get their head around it. And our leaders are not teaching or guiding us towards being a flexible thinker rather than, you know, one dimensional.
1: Glenda, just a quick, quick question on this. Uh, do you think that this, uh, if you like, polarity stems from or is a product of uh, the industry, the journalism industry and the kind of tough times we face and therefore there's fewer resources around to do in-depth reporting and it's easier to cut the corners and go with the kind of dominant narrative. But
4: yes, uh, you
3: know, cost-wise, um, it, it, it does affect what people do all day. It doesn't, you know, there's, um, uh, like, say if I wanted to perhaps go out into the rural parts of China and spend a week or two, I don't know if that would be justified. Uh, financially or not, but um, uh, yeah, and, and this, this kind of journalism where people seem to uh, allege things without actually saying saying things seem to be, uh, seems to be seems prevalent. But um, I think we are in changing times. So I mean, it's not just Australia. You look at the stuff that Trump has been saying. You look at Mike Pence, mm. who's done this massive attack. Um, this worldwide debate about Huawei and China's influence. So. Um, I think we have to look at the debate in Australia in a, in a broader in a broader sense. Mm-hmm. And, and the future, I mean, Paul thinking and, and others, actually other thinkers um, are saying the future will be... Australia has to learn that the future is about dealing with people that might not look like us, whatever us is. Um, it, it, they might not have the same government as us. They might not have the same religious as us. Again, you know, speaking as a white Caucasian person, but... Uh, the, the Australia has to engage with Asia and we have to be grown up and we have to realize that all the governments of Asia are very very different. Well, and, and let, we have to not just jump up and down and say well this is not a democracy. Right. It takes the complexity yes. in doing that and I think that complexity I, I, is missing uh, and uh, my fear is that Australia will lose opportunities because there's plenty of other countries who are in here trying to do business and have a relationship mm. And, and you have to constantly engage with China. Yeah. It changes very quickly, um, and, and now it's a very proud country. So I'm not defending everything it does, but I think we need to keep engaging in a um, in a more sophisticated way. Not if we just throw rocks from the outside. Well, you know, we'll just live in our little island, and we won't be part of uh, this sort of Asian. Um, uh, Asian growth
2: story which is happening Well Glenda you've you just talked about the need to, to look at the complex picture and the need to avoid the simplicity, being simplistic and uh, which I think is absolutely crucial here so here is a question I want to uh, put to you and Suleen uh, but you first uh, that is if you're asked to come up with uh, uh, some recommendations for, say, Australian journalists reporting on China. Let, let's call them best practices in, in reporting China. What would you recommend? Well, I suppose the more journalists that
3: come here, the better um, and try and understand it. Um, from China's side, too, they get a bit thin-skinned. Like, uh, sometimes I talk to the... Chinese side and they said, Why are you criticizing? And I say, Well if we criticize Donald Trump every day as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think perhaps the more uh, journalists that come here and, and try and engage and realise it's a very complicated, uh, interesting but complicated um, country, the better. Uh, maybe getting, you know, editors up here a bit more as well, you know, seeing your people in the paper to, to understand what what uh, what life's about. Um, and, again, you know, leadership perhaps at, at the political level of, of taking us forward in, in a complicated world. Um, and, again, very interesting to see if Labor... Uh, and Labor traditionally is engaged with China in a better, in a, in a better way than, than the Liberals, in a way. But, you know, we're, we're, in, a, uh, we're in a new world. So, again, the more, I suppose, you know, more, the more coverage, the more people we can get to come up here and, and see what's going on. Um, and, and just engagement, just constant engagement rather than perhaps sitting sitting there and, and just sort of throwing rocks, um, which is easy to do.
2: So that kind of uh, exposure and immersion is really crucial to getting a, a, a sense of what's happening on the ground. I, I get that sense from you, Glenda. That's the message you want to get through, right?
3: Yes. Um, uh, what struck me is in moving here is how important China is to Australia, of course, and to the world. I mean, and, and it It's growing. I mean, it's grown enormously, and yet it's. um, But it's still a still a communist government. Uh, But it's saying we're going to do it in our way. And Mm. how do you engage with that? How do you how do you report the positives and negatives of that? It's very complicated, and um, we need more. Yeah, we need we need to be able to approach China in a complex. Why? Yeah,
2: increasing, yeah, increasingly, China is reported both from people like you who are based in China and people like Sulin who are based in Australia. So I would ask Sulin the same question. Uh, if you are asked to come up with a list of recommendations in best practices in covering China, what would you recommend?
0: I'd say that, you know, I'll even break it down from immersion. Just very simply, if you're in Australia, Go and spend some time with your Chinese friends. Go and have lunch and dinner with Chinese students. Go and, you know, speak with new migrants. Go to the neighbourhoods where they live. You know, actually, if you don't speak Mandarin, that's okay. Bring a friend, bring a translator. Actually turning up at places that make you uncomfortable. If you were never there in the first place and you've never had any exposure to a friend or a community, actually turn up.
1: Um, That is all we have time for this week on The Middle. You can find previous episodes, as I mentioned, uh, online at themiddleau.com and subscribe to us, whatever podcast app you might use. And until next week, it's goodbye from me, Peter Frey.
4: And goodbye from me, Waning Sun.
1: And thank you both to our guests.